Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to assemble together as your people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in our midst today, stirring up a love for, for Jesus, the perfect image of God, um, and the only one worthy of worship. Thank you. Be with my words. Help me to be clear and helpful today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Daniel chapter 3. Have you guys ever been in a house fire? Have any of you had a house that caught fire? Raise your hand. Gary, Frank. Um, I had some smoke in our house once growing up. We thought it might have been a fire, but then it was the furnace went, so it wasn't anything serious. But I know it can be really scary, especially if you are surrounded by flames and you, you barely make it out. Obviously, for those of you who were in a fire, you've survived. You're here. You made it through the flames. And this morning, in our story, we're going to read about three Jewish men from the book of Daniel who also went through a fire and lived. The fire that they went through was so hot that it destroyed the men who were throwing them into it, who were near it. Imagine that you guys, imagine you were in a house fire and the flames were just excruciating. They were all around you. You were in the fire. And the firemen were all around the house trying to put out the blaze and several of the firemen were overcome by the flames and died. That does happen. But imagine afterwards, you walked out of the fire completely unharmed, with your clothes intact and not burned. And the fire that killed the firemen who weren't even in it, but close to it, spared you somehow. You were spared. They would say it was a miracle, right? All the headlines in the Sentinel the next day would be, I mean, it, people would be freaking out. You'd be on the news. What happened? It was a miracle. People would be amazed, and that's what happened in our story this morning by the power of God. It was a miracle. So, Daniel chapter 3. Now, just to kind of set us up for the story, um, you've got that image in your mind now of surviving a fire, and now I want you to remember back to the overview sermon from a couple weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that, again, it's on the website. It's also on Facebook, uh, the overview sermon of Daniel. And you may remember, Johanna, I see she's got her hand out. Um, that's good. That's a helpful handout. There may be a few more on the table um, that you can pick up when you leave. That kind of gives a map of the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 1, we get an introduction. In chapter 2 to chapter 7, we get a series of matching chapters. 2 matches 7, 3 matches 6, and 4 matches 5. In Hebrew, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a way of writing that we call chiasm, okay? Matching pairs. And each chapter that matches, um, are, they're intended by the author to be read together. So we're supposed to read 2 and 7 together. Four, three and six together, and four and five together. They make similar points. Well, in chapter three today, the one that corresponds to it is chapter six. How many of you have heard of Daniel in the lion's den? 
Shadrach and Meshach in the fire, Daniel and the lion's den. Can you think of any similarities? Guys thrown into something that could kill them or should kill them and miraculously spared by an angel from God. These chapters match. 2 and 7 match, 3 and 6 match, and 4 and 5 we'll see proud kings taken down by God. They match as well. Humans in 3 and 6, chapters 3 and 6, choose faithfulness to the Lord and his kingdom over worshiping a human ruler. And there are a lot of other uh, you know, parallels between the chapters, and we'll cover some of them when we get to chapter 6. But the key problem is false worship in chapter 3 and chapter 6. In chapter 3, human images, a human image, a man made in God's image, lifts himself up and demands worship that only God is due. And in chapter 6, um, the king demands people pray to him, which prayer should only be made to the one true God. So these pagan kings, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 and Darius in chapter 6, they're setting themselves up as gods and they're demanding worship of their images as if they were worthy of worship. And that's treason, treason against the God who made all things, the king of all the earth. So Daniel, chapter 3 and chapter 6, are, they're all about rival images of God, rebellious Adam-like kings. Remember Adam in Genesis 1? He's created in the image of God. He's the first image of God. He's meant to rule God's way God by listening to God's word and obeying God's word and taking care of the world the way God wants it to be taken care of. And instead, Adam said, no, my way. I get to define good and evil. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. Adam says, no, I get to call the shots. I want to be like you, knowing good from evil. In other words, I don't need to listen to you about good and evil. If I think it's right, it's right. If I think it's wrong, it's wrong. And so that's at the heart of human sinfulness. And now in Daniel, we have these new Adam-type figures, these kings that are supposed to be taking care of the earth God's way, but instead they're setting themselves up as images to be worshipped instead of the one true God. This is a rebellion of the highest order. And God is, in Daniel, in chapter 2 and chapter 7, God's going to crush all that. So whatever happens in the middle between chapters 2 and 7, chapter 3 and 6, kings wanting worship, chapters 4 and 5, proud kings who need to be humbled, chapters 2 and 7 show us the, the end brackets, these visions that Daniel has of a rock from heaven crushing, coming to earth and destroying these rival kings, these bad kingdoms, this fall, these bad Adam figures who are ruling in bad ways. This rock from heaven, we find out in Daniel 7 who it is. It's one like a son of Adam, who not only leaves heaven one day after coming to earth and defeating these pagan kings, they call, they're called beasts in Daniel 7, he ascends again into the clouds and is seated at the throne, and he receives a kingdom from his father that will never be shaken. This is Jesus, who we worship, who descended from heaven and ascended after paying for sins and defeating the snake. So we're, we're going to be covering a lot in Daniel, but I just wanted you to see how chapter 2 and chapter 7 frame 
chapters 3 and 6 and chapters 4 and 5. They're like brackets, the beginning and the end. Of, and whatever happens in the middle, chapters 2 and 7 are going to fix. So this is where we're going today. We're going to look at Daniel 3. And we're going to walk through the story, just like last week, in four steps. Four basic movements. First, we're going to see the king's decree. The king's decree. Second, the Jews' devotion. These three Jewish men are devoted to the Lord. And third, we're going to look at the king's deadly rage. Nebuchadnezzar's furious. And fourth, we'll look at the Lord's deliverance. So if you want to remember it with some Ds, the decree, the devotion of the Jews, the deadly rage of the king, and the deliverance of the Lord. So first, the king's decree. Look at Daniel 3, 1 to 7, and I'll read that for you. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. You know, like, what's a cubit? It's 90 feet tall by um, 6 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, all those people, the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials. Man, he's got a lot of people. It takes a lot of people to rule the world, doesn't it? All those people. And they, they're from all these nations and they're, they speak different languages, right? And they're gathered for the dedication of this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that he had set up, and a herald proclaims. Herald is someone who makes an announcement. You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you got the whole praise team out here, worshiping the image. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship, She'll be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, if you were here last week, you may remember this crazy dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2, verse 31. Do you remember what he saw in his dream? Flip back a page and look at Daniel 2, 31, if you've got your Bible open. Your translation might see he sees a statue, which is okay. It's a good translation. Literally, the word he sees is an image. Tselem in Hebrew, image. He sees an image in his dream. An image of a human one. And this human one is ruling the world. And we talked about it last week that this image represents different human kingdoms like Babylon and Persia and Greece that are ruling the world. And the image is a terrifying image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You remember why it's terrifying? It's because it it's not a good picture. Wait, a human one ruling the world. Genesis 1.28, that's what we were supposed to do. Humans made in the image of the world, the image of God, taking care of God's world. And here you have this image made of metal 
And it's terrifying because it's an image of God in rebellion against him. They're not ruling God's world God's way. Just like Adam rebelled against God so long ago and refused to, refused to world, rule the world God's way, in this image, um, it's representing humans like the king Nebuchadnezzar in rebellion against God. Now, who can shout it out? What was the head made of in the image? Gary. Gold. Gold. Boom. Somebody was at sermon review discussion. All right. <laughs> we talked about that. The head of gold. Now, um, then there was the empire of silver and the empire of bronze and then the, the, the iron strong legs that mixed with clay, which is like, what's going on with that? We'll talk about that in days to come. Well, finally, you have the eternal kingdom of God represented by the rock from heaven, and it comes and it destroys these kingdoms of men, these rebellious kingdoms, and turns them to chaff, like Psalm chapter uh, 1 says will happen to the wicked. And then Psalm 2 says, As for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy mountain, and all the kings of the earth are to worship him in Psalm 2. We talked about that a little bit near the end of the sermon last week, how Daniel is like talking about the mountain of God filling the earth, drawing from Psalms 1 and 2, and you've got God's king, the rock, who's going to turn into this whole mountain and defeat all the kingdoms of the world. That's Jesus. All right. And you're like, what? Stay tuned. We're going to cover a lot of that in days to come. But Nebuchadnezzar makes this gold image entirely of gold, 90 feet tall. And earlier I said six feet wide. I meant nine feet wide. It's huge. Just picture in your mind something 90 feet tall, an image, a golden image. That's a lot of gold. I'm assuming it's probably overlaid with gold, not solid gold. Otherwise, it would have been like millions of pounds. Um, so it's beautiful golden image. And he puts it up in this huge plain in Babylon, like this huge field. Imagine like a, a football field, but like way bigger, you know? And it's at the end. And he commands all nations everywhere bow down and worship the image. See that in verse 5? You're to fall down and worship the golden image he set up. What do you think King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to say here? Think carefully. He saw this image of gold in his dream. And the image in the dream, he says, it's re the gold head is his kingdom, and then there's another kingdom that comes after it, Persia. It's the silver, the Medes and the Persians. It's the silver kingdom. And then another kingdom after that. And then God's kingdom, the greatest kingdom that will fill the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar, in this chapter, makes an entire image of gold. What do you think he's trying to say? There ain't going to be no silver. There is not going to be no bronze. There's not going to be a rock from heaven. The buck stops here with me. My kingdom is an eternal kingdom. There's going to be one image to rule them all, one image to bring them, one image to bind them, right? This is Nebuchadnezzar's vision, and how is he going to ensure this? Bow or burn? That's what he's doing. How more arrogant can you get? Daniel chapter 2 sets up this image that says God's king is going to come and rule, and Nebuchadnezzar says no. This idol is representing him and his kingdom. Did it actually look like him? We don't know for sure. The text doesn't tell us. But it says like 10 times in chapter 3, 
your translation might not bring it out every time, but it uses the word image and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar made the image. The image was Nebuchadnezzar's image. It, it's, it's trying to associate this image with Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever this image looks like, it represents Nebuchadnezzar's power and his might and his kingdom. You bow to it as a sign of your allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar above all things. And if you don't, you will go through the fires of Babylon. Now, think for a minute. Think again what this means from the vantage point of the Bible's story. Here you have a king in Babylon setting up an image that represents him and his rule over the world. Once again, you have an image of God, just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, who is in rebellion against God. It's Genesis 3 all over again. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he commands all nations everywhere, right? When they hear the music, to bow before the golden image and worship. And if they refuse to worship the image, they must face his wrath and go through his fire and die. A man saying, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. Worship me or perish in fire. And only the true God is the one who can say this. The penalty in the Bible's story of rejecting God is eternal fire. But here the penalty of refusing to worship this man made in God's image is fire. Nebuchadnezzar is posing as God in every possible way, which is at the core of sin. My way, God, not yours. And it's crazy. In verse 7, everything is humming along nicely. You've got this great field, right? And everybody's hearing this music, and they're bowing. They're all joined together in this one common religion, the worship of an image. This is, if you're reading, if you know your Bible pretty well, you may be hearing, ding, 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 where have I seen this before? Genesis chapter 11. All humanity gathered together in Genesis 11 on a plain, the plain of Shinar. Where's the plain of Shinar? In Babylon. And what are they doing? They're erecting a tower so that they can go make a great name for themselves and be like God and ascend into heaven where God is. The Tower of Babel story repeats itself. Here they're on a plain, all nations together on this plain, worshiping a golden image representing the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Or how about this story that we've heard before? The story of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. As Moses comes down from meeting with the real God who dwells on a mountain, Think of the rock in Daniel 2 that turns into a mountain representing God's kingdom. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he says, I, I don't see to hear the sound of war. I hear the sound of singing. Music. They're having a party. And then he comes down into the camp and what is all Israel doing? They're dancing and having a drunken orgy around this golden calf. Literally a golden image. The Bible's story repeats itself again and again. They reject the God who's trying to meet with them from the mountain. And they say, we don't want the God on the mountain. We don't want the God of all the earth. We want a golden image. We want to do things our way. This is the drama of human rebellion. 
So this story is just laced with all these themes from previous stories that we've heard. And now look what we see in the next step of the story. We see the Jews' devotion. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigun and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Ancient tattletaling going on here. This happens in chapter 6 as well. They tattletale on Daniel that he won't pray to the king. Yoo-hoo, O king. Daniel's a bad boy, right? And it's kind of humorous. They're naughty, naughty, right? Why, why do you tell on somebody? Well, so that maybe you'll get promoted after they're dead, right? There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. We wish we had their place. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They not, do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And he answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, Pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. So I'll give you one more chance, right? But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, listen to this. They said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to throw us in the fire, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love this story. What an answer. We would rather burn than bow. We will not worship your image. We will not betray the God who made us. Now look at the king's response. The king's deadly rage in verses 19 to 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the text says the image, literally, your translation may have something different, that's fine, the, the image of his face was changed against Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and you know all their full regalia of being important people in the kingdom, and they're thrown in to the burning, fiery furnace in verse 21. Verse 22 because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So remember I pointed out the text literally says the image of Nebuchadnezzar's face was changed against Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego. I think the author uses that. You know, you might have expression of his face. You know, it means the same thing, but I think the reason the author uses the word image there is specifically the same image. It's, it's like, you don't worship the image? Well, then the image, identified with Nebuchadnezzar, is going to turn towards you in wrath. They face the wrath of the image, the image of God, this human one, Nebuchadnezzar, this brutal son of Adam who has turned against his maker and he's exalted himself up like a god and he sought to rule the world his way for his fame and for his honor. And they would not worship. And now we, this rebellious son of Adam, Nebuchadnezzar, who's lifted himself up, he spills forth his fury and his wrath on these three men. And yet, notice, who burns in the fire? His own men. See that there in verse 22? The fire destroys the servants of Babylon. His rage ends up destroying his own citizens. That's a powerful image, friends, of what sin and rebellion against God do to us destroys us our sinful choices might feel so right and so good in the moment but over time it ends up taking our life it burns us if not fully in this life forever in the next the fires of babylon end up destroying babylon because of their evil now let's look at what happens next Will the real God please step forward? Yes, he does. The three Jews are not harmed. Look at point four, the Lord's deliverance. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And then they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over them, over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire was upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For their, He's a pretty brutal guy, isn't he? For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And now chapters 4, verse 1 to 3 actually closes out this section with a proclamation from the king. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom 
and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So, just a few words about this section. Nebuchadnezzar, he's shocked, right? This is a miracle the likes of which he has never seen before. No other God, he says, no other spiritual being in the universe can deliver like this spiritual being. See that in verse 29? He calls him the most high God, the most high one. Of all the spiritual beings out there, he is the greatest. Uh, spiritual beings, I'm talking about angels and demons that often stand behind, the, the, the demons stand behind a lot of the idolatrous worship of people like Nebuchadnezzar, real demons. And he's, he's like, they can do stuff, but they can't do anything like that. He is the most high one. There is none like Yahweh in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and he is able to send his angel to deliver people from the fires of Babylon. No matter how hot they may be, the hottest fires of men are nothing to God. He's able to bring his faithful servants who trust him through them. Our God is able to save. So, what should some application be for us, God's people living today? Well, first, as I did last week, I just want to read to you about the son of Adam who we are supposed to worship. God's image that he has set up in Daniel. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Daniel's having a dream. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of Adam, or son of man. It's the same word, Adam, man, Adam. One like a son of Adam, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, you hear the echoes of our story today in chapter 3? All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, not the image. Okay, so if it shouldn't be the image, who should Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship? God's image. This Adam, this son of Adam is the image of God that we are to worship because he comes from heaven, just like the rock in Daniel chapter 2. Remember, 2 and 7 go together. The rock is this picture of this kingdom coming from heaven. And the kingdom needs a king, right? Jesus is that king, the son of Adam, who is God's perfect image. You want to know what God looks like? Look at him, not an image of gold. Look at this coming son of Adam from the tribe of Judah, the lion king, who will defeat all evil. And he will come again one day. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, Daniel says, and a kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is not up for re-election on Tuesday. That's pretty awesome. I love that. So friends, there is a son of Adam who we are to worship. Not Nebuchadnezzar, not Babylon, Jesus. And he's all that Adam was supposed to be and failed. And Jesus... He will send his angels to deliver us one day through the fires that will destroy this earth and usher in God's new creation. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 13, 36 to 43. Matthew 13, his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Hear that from Daniel? 
The field is the word. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then here's another quote from Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Jesus says, The righteous, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is really sobering language from Jesus. We don't have time to go into all that that parable has. But I want you to realize, make no mistake, there is a fire coming on the earth one day. There is an end time judgment that is coming. Peter, the apostle of our Lord, he talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, but one day, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible by fire in Genesis 19. The fiery furnace in our story today. These stories, they're pointing forward to a day when God will purify the world of everything that sin has done to it. Just like sin and evil is like fire tearing things apart ruining lives and homes so fire will come one day and purify the world just like lot though was spared by angels when the fire of god came on sodom and gomorrah if you don't know that story genesis 19 and just like shadrach meshach and abednego were spared by an angel when the babylonians perished around them so jesus says in matthew 13 we too will be spared if we're found trusting in Jesus on that day. And should we have died before that day that is coming, Jesus, Daniel 12 says, will raise us from our graves and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So this is serious stuff from the word of God. Do you trust Jesus? Or do you reject him? Do you confess him with your mouth but rebel against him in your heart? Or do you truly worship him? Who do you bow to? As humans, we are hardwired to bow to human images, to our own selves, our own opinions, the way we see the world, or the way other people do, and not Jesus. And today we have a powerful example of what obedience to God's kingdom looks like. 
these three men, they trusted the Lord and they went through the fires of the judgment of Babylon without being burned. They fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell more than they fear Nebuchadnezzar. They worship the Lord and they are rescued. They're brought safely through the fire. And just like them, if we reverence the Lord, if we trust him completely and refuse to bow to anything but him with our hearts, our lives, we will be rescued. Not because we're sinless and deserve rescue. Every single human who's ever lived, except Jesus, they've done sin for which we all deserve punishment. But on the cross, Jesus, the perfect son of Adam, we'll learn some about this in Daniel 9, he took our sin in our place. He was burned for us. He faced the fires of the Babylon of his day, not by going to an actual fiery furnace, but by dying on the cross. And God, because of Jesus' faithfulness, just like um, these three men in our story were saved, Jesus was raised from the dead. And if we trust him, we don't have to fear the fire. We don't have to fear the punishment for our sins, for the ways that we have failed to worship God purely, because all of us have. We can have forgiveness, Jesus took our sin for us and we can know that we will make it through the last days without a scratch our judgment has already been taken we will be raised from the dead there's one last thing I just want to mention before we close around the world right now there are countless thousands of Christians for whom allegiance to Jesus means death if they're caught I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but in North Korea right now, you see Kim Jong-un on the um, news, but the punishment for being a Christian there is death. Christians in North Korea are commanded, all people in North Korea are commanded to worship the family of the Kims, the Kim dynasty. He, he and his family, they are, to, they are a family of gods in their own estimation but many thousands there even now they're paying the ultimate price for their allegiance to the lord jesus they don't fear the fires of their babylon some estimate there's somewhere around 300,000 christians in north korea and many of them are doing slave labor in camps where they work for no pay and they die Many of them are in prison for things as simple as owning a Bible, which is illegal and could get you killed. Coming to church is illegal, but it's always done in secret. When they gather, they risk death. And why do they do it? Why do they keep coming to assemble with the people of God? It's because they've counted the cost, and they determined it's better to die with Jesus and inherit eternal life than to live without him for eternity for their sins 
So they follow King Jesus into the fires of the modern version of Babylon. And North Korea is only one country. We could go on and on. Dozens of countries. They're just the most extreme. China, North Sudan, Yemen, you know, we could go Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Nigeria, northern Nigeria especially. Christians are being burned, literally, or punished with other means for their faith. But they would rather bow to King Jesus and live with him for eternity than to bow to Babylon. And so I want to close just by praying for the persecuted church around the world and also to pray for us that God would give us the strength to be faithful. Um, we, as a, as a church, um, we're not called to live in fear uh, at all. We have an election on Tuesday. Um, it, it is no secret that um, one of the parties before us um, has an agenda that um, could result in a, a ramped up persecution of churches in days to come. And um, we, uh, we may face fines for refusing to um, you know, follow all that you know, we are commanded to do by the government in days to come. And I won't get into details. You know, if you have any questions about it afterwards, um, you can ask me. This is not, I'm not telling you how to vote or anything. This is just the reality of the, the government and the world that we're living in as uh, citizens of America. We love our country, uh, but um, we are not living in the kingdom of God. America is not God's kingdom on earth. And there are many things about America that are beginning to smell more and more like Babylon. So as Christians, what are we to do? Do we put our hope in a candidate who will make America great again? Do we put our hope in someone who's more civil? Uh, what do we do as Christians? Well, one thing we do do is we cling to King Jesus and the kingdom that will never be shaken. By all means, go out and vote Tuesday. But vote with your hope somewhere else. Vote as a means to love your neighbor. I don't want us burned someday. I don't want us to lose the building because we're fined, because we won't do a gay marriage here, or we won't have a third, a, a transgender restroom, or whatever it might be. But that's, we're not afraid of that. The church has been meeting in homes for millennia. We have a king, and we want to be faithful to him, the Creation Church. So let's pray to him now. Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. I thank you so much for this country that we love and the freedoms that we've enjoyed. Lord, I pray that we would vote on Tuesday with faith and not fear. I pray that we would not put our hope in an election or any candidate or any political party, but that we would put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom that will never fail ruled over by a king whose throne will never be shaken. 
Lord, I thank you so much for our hope. Our hope that's alive because Jesus was raised from the grave. And I pray, Lord, for the Christians around the world, our brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith by the millions. Think of Christians in prison in China. Christians being murdered even now in North Korea. Father, I pray that they would not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, but that you would help them to be faithful to Jesus through the persecution. And we ask that it would lift and that the, the powers of the Kim's dynasty, the power would fall like Nebuchadnezzar and that the church of North Korea would rise up and lead the world in joyful celebration of their king without having to do it in secret. Lord, we ask for, for boldness for them. May they not be afraid to share their faith. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to not be afraid here in America. May we read these stories of faithful Christians around the world and be encouraged and challenged in our own walk with you to love Jesus with all our hearts and to worship him and not live in fear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.